Our sermon title this morning simply says, With God, all things are possible. Sometimes in life, important needs have very simple solutions. For instance, you get tired, you rest. It's a simple solution when you get tired. Or if you get thirsty, you drink water. It's a simple solution. Or if you're hungry, you eat food. Very simple solutions to needs we all have, and they're important needs, I might add. Nothing impossible about that. But not all of life is that simple. For instance, sometimes we face struggles mentally, emotionally, socially. And we can face the same struggles, the same problems, but how we respond to these struggles may be night and day different. It may be completely polar opposites. And the most difficult things in life take the most extreme measures. Let me start by saying it this way. Great challenges call for great commitment. Great obstacles call for great strength. Great risks call for great courage. Great great opportunities demand great responsibilities. So when we pray, what do we pray or how do we pray? Do we pray for commitment to face the challenge? Or do we pray more for the removal of the challenge? Do we pray more for strength to overcome the obstacle, to meet the obstacle and overcome it? Or do we pray more for the removal of the obstacle? Do we pray more for courage to face the risk or more for removal of the risk? Do we pray when we have opportunities for wisdom or just to enjoy the opportunity without the responsibility? Did you know that one of the greatest marks, uh, the um, indicators, health indicators of the early church was how they prayed? One of the greatest health indicators was the prayer style of the early church. Jake was mentioning he had been reading the book of Acts. Wonderful book to read. Take note of the prayers in the book of Acts. I would challenge you, take time, read the book of Acts, and circle all the prayers. I do not find a single prayer in the book of Acts for the removal of an obstacle. There's one that's debatable. They say, well, the early church was praying for for the release of Peter when he was in prison. Yeah, they were surprised when he was released. Were they praying for his release, or were they praying for boldness or courage to stand strong in his his, his, um, incarceration? I want you to imagine with me this morning for a moment. Let's say God would come in person, physically, flesh and blood as a man, to Leamington EMC. He would come in here and he would get up here in the morning and say, Okay, you guys, I know you sing about me all every Sunday. You talk to me every Sunday in prayer. You read about me in my book. It's all good. I'd just like to know that um, I want a connection with you. And God would say, I want you to tell me. I want you to tell me what I need to do so you find it easy, so you really want to worship me, so you really want to walk with me. What do you want me to do for you? What would we say? How would we respond? We might say things like, Lord, if you really want me to worship you, then make it doable. Then please fix my situation. Fix my relationship with my mother, father, son, daughter, employee, boss, whatever, whatever that may be, my teacher, my student, whatever it may be. Then get this straight. Heal me, fix my problem, and on and on and on and on. And then let's say, God will say, all right, I'll do it. 
Just like that. I love you so much, I'll do exactly what you want, and from here on in, your life will be exactly the way you want it. The job, the money, the health, the looks, the fame, the popularity, everything. Your job, your life will now be the way you want it. Let me ask, would we then serve him better? Would we serve more devotedly, more wholeheartedly, with more commitment, more dedication, more love? Would we? Let me ask it this way. What happened every time when God in the Old Testament made life easy and smooth for his people, predictable, safe? The truth is this. The easier it got, the farther off track they went. Am I wrong? Did it fail? Every single time when they got what they wanted, they forgot about God. And so I believe this. I believe God and his love and his grace and mercy allows us to face impossible things so we have to have him to get through it. Because that's the only way we stay focused on him. You've heard the story of a kite needs a string to stay afloat and so on. And that makes sense. And that's the principle that we can use in scripture as well that we can use in our lives. You see, courage is needed when doing the right thing goes against the grain. When it's not popular. It takes courage. Commitment is needed when challenges are big. Oh, this course is too hard. This job is too difficult. This relationship is too tough. This challenge is too big. When obstacles are huge, that's when we need strength. When the risk is great, that's when we need courage. This is also true. Perhaps you're doing the right thing. Perhaps you're living for Jesus. You're walking with God, but... You feel you're so tested. Your, the limits are so big. Well, actually, it's worse. It's impossible. Life becomes impossible. Now what? Sometimes you come into a situation you did not choose, but you're in it. Through no fault of your own, it just happened. It's no fun. It's hard. It's difficult. There's just no easy way through. And it's impossible. What do you do? And even though it's not your fault, you know you will be held responsible for how you're going to deal with it. Their choice is yours. The truth is you must decide. And not to decide is a decision already. And it's countercultural in our time, I know. We all know. In our day and age, listen to social media, listen to the news, listen to whatever we listen to. It's always about the easy way, the relaxed way, the comfortable way, the convenient way, the smooth way, the predictable way, the soft way. The gentle way, no sharp corners to turn, no steep hills to climb, and no dark valleys to cross. We just want it even, smooth, steady, safe, and predictable. That would be cool, right? And we believe the lie. We believe that if life was handed to us on a silver platter, somehow serving God would be easier. And it's the opposite. Life on a silver platter has been the ruin of countless thousands. Even on a paper platter, it's the ruin of countless thousands. It doesn't work. The smooth, easy, relaxed, predictable, safe way is not a reflection of courage, not a sign of strength, no testimony of boldness and character. It's shallow, hollow, and empty. And truth be told, those people who want that life for the most part do so because they're weak, fearful, timid, hesitant, 
and consequently very little or sometimes no benefit to God's kingdom. We're in the advanced season, and things as this, this world portrays us is the dream life, what we should strive for. Well, that dream life that the world portrays is exactly what the advent season tells us God came to rescue us from. If you and I want to be a servant of God, part of God's team, part of God's kingdom, we're going to face the impossible. And with God, the impossible becomes possible. We have many stories in the Bible that point this out very clearly. When God calls people to do the impossible. And there are people who don't want to do it. They want to say no, and some in our lifetime do say no. But this morning, we want to look at the second sermon in our series on Advent. Last Sunday, Phil preached on the genealogy of Christ. And one reason why the genealogy of Christ was so important was because of who Matthew was writing to. He wrote to Jews. And for the Jews to believe that somebody was a Jew, they had to prove their genealogy. And if he was a king, then even more so. And so Matthew proves by his uh, the genealogy of Jesus that Jesus is a Jew and he's qualified as king. But what's interesting in the, in the genealogy of Jesus, there were some pretty flawed people there. Abram was a liar. His son Isaac was a liar. Jacob was a liar and a deceiver. Jacob's sons were liars and crooks. Moses disobeyed God in the desert at one point with his temper tantrum, or he lost control of his temper. David was an adulterer at one point. And on and on and on it goes. There are many good things that happen. We always talk about the good things, and they're good, and we should sometimes. But sometimes it's also important that we say, you know what, they're flawed people. They didn't do so well all the time. And that gives us hope and courage because, hey, if God can use them, he certainly can use us. But there's another part to the story, and that's Jesus could not be just a human being, just an ordinary man with the flaws of humanity. He also had to be God. And so the story goes, and Matthew refers to it, but more so, Luke does more so that Jesus was born of a virgin. He was God in human form. And that's the passage we want to spend time with today. So let's turn to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, and read on to verse 38. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing shall be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, on the surface, it's a nice story. Just an overview, it's a pretty story. But we are far removed from the time and place where and when this happened. In that day, it was not such a pretty story to whom it happened. For Mary and her family, this was an interference of the biggest imaginable scale. Of course, it's a good story, but still, she would be the mother of a king whose reign would have no end. But at what cost? What was the circumstances? I want us to think about this for a little bit. You see, she was a young woman, probably a teenager as far as we know. But she was a human person. She was a woman, flesh and blood, just like we are. 
And this posed a tremendous challenge. To be chosen to be the mother of a person when she had no man. This was a problem. The process through which this was happened would be a miracle. It was a huge obstacle. It would require a lot of mental strength. And she had faith. To gain a bit more perspective of what this meant for a Jewish person like Mary, a Jewish woman like Mary, a young woman like Mary, we need to have a bit wider understanding of her situation, of her culture, and of her social environment. She was living in Nazareth. I read up on the the story on the city of Nazareth, of the town of Nazareth. Some writers, some are more credible than others, but generally speaking, most agree that the town probably had 500 or less people during that time. One source pegged the number as low as 150, less than the size of our congregation today. Was it big or was it small? How big it was, we don't know, but probably less than 500. And people didn't think of much of the, much of the town. It was not a very popular town. In fact, John chapter 146, when Nathaniel, Philip finds Nathaniel, he says, we found the Messiah from Nazareth. He says, what good can come from that town? You know what's interesting about small towns? Everybody knows everybody. And everybody knows everybody's business. You can't hide. So here's this young woman gets told by the angel, you become pregnant and have a son. Uh-oh, I have no, no husband. We're engaged, but we're not married yet. So what's the deal with that? That would have been a huge, huge issue. Community ties were extremely important. There would be the risk of rejection, of shunning, avoiding. They didn't have social media, but they did have social media. The town well. All the women go to fetch water there. Everybody knows everybody. They had the, t- the town market. Everybody knows everybody. Have you heard? Have you seen? Blacklisted. The possibility. We don't, we don't know if she was, but that was a possibility for Mary. And here, this angel makes this announcement, favorite one, you've been chosen. Uh-oh, I wish it wasn't me. We don't know if that was the case, but we do know that she was surrendered. We don't know if the thought crossed her mind. But let's peel this back a little further. Let's just peel this, this off a little bit deeper. When she's greeted in verse 28, it says, He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary was a young woman who at the cord who at the core of her heart was completely and totally devoted to Christ. Do you know something? If you're going to be completely devoted to Christ, if you're going to be following God totally and wholeheartedly, you are going to face impossibilities. You are going to be the one chosen to do the stuff that can't be done. I've sometimes wondered about that. Like like this one preacher said, Joseph and the Lord was with him. He had hard times and the Lord was with him. Go and be with my brothers for a change. If that's how you deal with me. But the hard things in life come to those mostly who are faithful to God. In verse 30 it says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Was that a risk that she could be afraid? Of course it was. One politician one time said it this, we said, Fear is a, cho- a reaction. Courage is a choice. And so we're not to react in fear. And so she listens to this difficult news or this exciting news or this powerful news, however she accepted it. And the angel tells her in verse 31, the angel says, you'll conceive in your womb, bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, he'll be great and be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
this is bookshelves full of material in one short piece. And I'm sure Mary did not really understand and grasp or fathom the depth of what this really meant. Sounded good, except, except. And she says in verse 34, I'm a virgin. How will this be? I'm a virgin. Good question. The question. Wouldn't that be every woman's question? It's impossible. She's a boyfriend. What's he going to say? They're engaged to be married. What will happen? Whatever Mary's thoughts were, it says here in verse 35, And the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing is impossible, will be impossible with God. I want us to think about that verse, that phrase. For nothing will be impossible with God. God had done this many times, and he was doing it again. She simply surrenders and says, Mary said in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then in, if we won't read it this morning, but if we go to Luke chapter 2, we find how the birth of Jesus came about in this town of Bethlehem. This guy named Caesar Augustus had a need to know how many people he was controlling, how much how big his uh, empire was, how many people he had, and so on. So everybody has to go to their town of their ancestors, get registered, and guess what? David's, Joseph is from the line of David. Mary's from the line of David. So off they walk to Bethlehem, where Mary then gives birth to the promised Messiah. And she's the mother of Jesus, the Son of God. And there it was. You know, if we encapsulate the story a bit, we can say Mary had no idea of what this truly would mean for her to be the mother of Jesus. Let's just step back a bit and look at an overall view. See, she didn't know that this would mean traveling to Bethlehem finding a lodging in a stable so the baby Jesus could be born in Bethlehem, as was prophesied. She didn't know that she would have to spend some time in Bethlehem, then flee to Egypt, so Jesus would be coming out of Egypt, as was prophesied. She didn't know that after that she would have to move back to Nazareth later, and that that would be the place where she would raise her son, because that, again, was filling prophecy. She didn't know that as a young boy she would lose him one day in the temple and not find him for three days. Then then they found him, he was talking to the leaders of of Israel. And she didn't know that after he would enter ministry in three short years, the nation would turn against him. She didn't know that at a relatively young age, she would stand and watch him die. She didn't know. Talk about impossible. That's what she surrendered to. She had a surrendered heart, and that was enough. It's all God wanted. We cannot begin to imagine how different life turned for her compared to what it would have been for her had God not entrusted her with this huge responsibility. She trusted God to do the impossible, and God did. I want to wrap the story up and make an application here. With Mary, God did the impossible. Does that mean he doesn't want to do the impossible in our lives? No, he absolutely does. What Mary did was she lived a surrendered life to God, making herself available for his work went the way he wanted, and this is what he used her for. It's a story of God's grace working in harmony with a surrendered human person. Let me just turn it around a bit. What if Mary said, okay, angel, that's great, but let me first ask mom and dad. What would have happened? 
It's great, but let me talk to my boyfriend. Let me talk to my boyfriend first. What would have happened? That would have shown fear, indecision, hesitancy, reluctance. You and I today, we're God's chosen people for God's purpose, not to bring Jesus into this world, but to shed his light, his love, his compassion into a dying world. To live as an image bearer. We will face challenges, obstacles, risks, and responsibilities. And yet so many people, they pray, Lord, could you make it at least a little bit easier to be a follower of you? Could you make it a little less risky to be a disciple? Could you make it a bit safer to be a follower? Could you make it a little more attractive to be a follower? Oh, maybe we've not prayed those words, but we sure have thought them, haven't we? Let me tell you something. I have news for us. That kind of praying is about me and about us. Maybe God is calling you today to a specific place, a specific position in life, a specific task, and you're facing obstacles. You don't have the support. You don't have the backing. You don't have the resources. You don't know if there's any opportunity beyond the next fence. You just don't know, and it's impossible. Oh, I can't. It won't work. I don't have the support. Perhaps you're facing that right now. God has given you a sense of what he's calling you to do or to be. You just don't have the strength. It's so tempting. Just give up, give in, roll over, let life take its course. No. That's not optional. Not in God's kingdom. The angel first says to Mary, don't fear, here's what's going to happen. Too many times fear reigns. If you're going to use fear as the reference point from which you're going to make your choices in life, you'll fail every time. Let me repeat that. If fear is the reference point from which you make life's choices, that's not God's will. And so there will be people you love, people you care about. They will misunderstand you. They will resist you. They will not support you. It's okay. They'll think you've lost it. Have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? They will resist you. Oh, but dear, I only want what's best for you. They probably do, but they're wrong. I was 33 years old when I decided to go to Bible school. That decision was a long process and time in making. I won't go into details except to say this. Once it was clear that I should go and the doors started opening, I went in spite of a lot of resistance and opposition. There were people who literally thought, are you crazy? They didn't say those words, but they sure warned me, this is bad, this is not good, you shouldn't go, this is not nice, and so on. I had my wife's backing and some friends out there and some friends in my community, but in general, most, a lot of people did not agree with it. I was 33 years old, had two boys. Later, after graduation, those very same people, not all of them, but some of them came to me and said, you know what, one guy especially said, I was wrong. Uh, and he apologized. He meant well. He just didn't know better. What if Mary had decided, you know what? People's opinion is not very high of this. I think we're just going to pass on this one. I'm just going to pass this one. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. It'll be scary. It'll be frightening. But we don't have to give in to fear. There'll be obstacles. There'll be challenges. But they don't have to, don't have to control us. And it will not look the same for everybody. Mary was chosen to be the mother of Jesus. And there's many stories and many cases in the Bible how God chose people for special tasks. 
Maybe you're here today and you find yourself stuck in a rut. You know you should have made a change years ago, but you're just too scared, too afraid. What will people say? What will happen to such and such and so and so? Stop. Just stop. It's not your business. That's God's problem. Let people say what they want. Let people think what they want. Don't worry about it. If what you're doing is glorifying God and propelling his kingdom, and it's bringing you closer to him, go for it. If it lines up with his word, his teaching, his guidance, his leading, there will be very good intentioned people who say, don't do this, it's too dangerous, it's too risky. No, you just go. Even if people don't agree, step out in faith. Let me close with a word of caution, maybe a word of warning. There's always the naysayers. Those who say, oh, it can't be done, it won't work. That's fear talking. The fearful, the timid, the negative, the critical, the pessimists, plenty of those, they go nowhere. In the Bible, we have a story which I'll briefly mention and then we'll close. When God was ready to bring the Israelites to the promised land, they'd been in the desert for a few years, as far as I know, Twelve spies were chosen, sent out to Canaan to explore the land. They came back. Two had a very good report and ten negative, pessimistic, cynical guys. They said, no, it's a good land, but we can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. And then these two positive guys said, oh, wait a minute. No, no, don't, just, don't destroy the confidence of the people. We can do this. God is with us. Nothing's impossible with God. That was their message. But they infected, infested the whole congregation of Israel with this negativity and God said, okay, if that's what you want, then I guess you're going to stay in the desert till all of you complainers are dead. For 40 more years, they wandered in the wilderness because of the naysayers. Do you want to be an influencer for the negative, the pessimistic, the cynical, the negative? All of us struggle with it at some point. But let's remember with God, everything is possible. So what are you going to do? The easy thing, the popular thing, or the right thing? The easy just keep drifting and drifting and floating like dead fish in a stream. The living ones, the positive ones, they challenge the status quo. They don't care what the world says. They do the right thing. As Ephesians chapter 6 says, they put on the armor of God. They stand strong. They fight. They have boldness. They have courage. They have commitment. They surrender and they live and they prosper. God is calling us to a life of victory a life of joy and peace, not defeat, discouragement, and hopelessness. The Christmas season is a season of optimism, of hope, God bringing his son because he loves us. You and I, if we accept that, we are children of the king. At this time, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward to sing the last song, and then I will close with a prayer for this congregation. Please.